morning again. Would you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15, second book in your Bible. We're going to begin in verse 22. Page 78, if you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you, we invite you all to read along with us this morning. Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. Lord, thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for the insight it gives us, the way it increases our faith. Lord, we can trust you. You're the provider. Pray that you would speak to your people, encourage them greatly. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Our church does a number of large events every year. It requires a lot of uh, administration, the logistics, the details. Vacation Bible School, five mornings, ministering to about 250 children with all the snacks and the games and all of that. We'll do a big Christmas outreach at the end of the year. Every other year we'll do a Passover Seder. We do a Harvest Fellowship. A few months ago, 150 ladies traveled to Santa Fe for a women's conference. We have a bunch of guys going up to Sacramento and a couple weeks. If you've ever planned an event, you know it's hard work. It takes a lot of planning and attention to detail. And I'm so thankful for the gifted men and women that are able to administer those big events. It takes a lot. Well, imagine the logistics that Moses faced in leading a nation of two and a half million across hundreds of miles of desert wilderness en route to the promised land. Imagine that. Imagine getting everybody there. They didn't have buses with AC back then, no U-Hauls, most everybody's on foot. Young mothers with infants, small children, the elderly, the handicapped. They had livestock with them. Imagine that. Just to get everybody moving in the right direction. And then how do you feed all those people? And how do you make sure that they have water to drink in a desert wilderness? The logistics were incredible. For that, And that was on Moses. He's the leader. But thankfully, Moses had big help. It was impossible for him to do it. What we see is the Lord himself leading his people through the wilderness and taking care of his people through the wilderness. And I want to take you to several incidents of that in our text. Look at verse 22 of chapter 15. It says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, which means bitter. And the people complained against 
Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So they've just miraculously crossed the Red Sea. They've just had a big worship service. The whole nation is sung, praising the Lord for their great victory over Egypt. Then they begin their journey into the wilderness, and they're three days in. And there's no water. Their water supply's been depleted. And then this maddening thing happens. They come to Mara, and they find this pool, and it looks so promising. Oh, there's some water, and I can see them running towards it. Maybe some of them jumped into it. They take a big drink and spit it out. It's bitter. It's contaminated. Oh, imagine that. You're so thirsty. And you take a drink and it does nothing for you. So they complained. And this is a word that you're going to see throughout our text this morning. Complained. They grumbled. They murmured. And notice they didn't complain to Moses. They complained against Moses. The Hebrew word has this hint of rebellion in it. Great job, Moses. What a leader you are. You've taken us out into the wilderness so we'll die of thirst. So Moses, in verse 25, does what they should have all done. He cried out to the Lord. That's what you do. You don't complain. You cry out to the Lord. Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him... A tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. What an interesting, creative way to get thirsty people refreshed. Moses, here's this tree. Now, we don't know what kind of tree it was. In fact, in the Hebrew, it could literally mean wood. This wooden tree. Take it down. Throw it in the bitter waters and it'll become sweet. And he did that. And those waters were instantaneously sweetened. The word sweet in Hebrew is used to describe honey. I imagine the most sweetest, healthiest, refreshing water. And all the people drank. And all the people replenish their water supply. The Lord provided for them. It was supernatural provision. And what a creative way. In fact, it almost seems like it was meant to mean something more. Bitter waters made sweet by a tree. God provided for them. So then they leave Mara and they head to Elim. Elim's a very interesting place. Look at verse 27, same chapter. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. Now, I always picture this place as a beautiful resort. 70 palm trees, 12 wells of water. God led them there. The language implies that they camped there for quite some time, several days. So here the Lord is now providing for them but doing so through natural causes. Natural resources, which would involve working to gain those natural resources. So they stayed in Elim. 
Then in verse 1 of chapter 16, they move on. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. And they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, or Zin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So notice the timing here. They land in this place, 15th month, 15th day of the second month. So this road trip's been going on for about a month and a half. They're almost to Sinai. So they're kind of halfway there. And now here they face another crisis. They're hungry. Lack of food. So verse 2, it says, Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the pots of meat. And when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So once again, the complaining, not complaining to, complaining against. And notice, it's not just a few whiners. The whole congregation is complaining against Moses. And they say the ugliest, most spiteful things here. We should have stayed in Egypt. We should have died in Egypt. At least in Egypt we had plenty of food. We sat by pots of meat. Carne asada. Pasole. Green chili stew. We had plenty of bread. You've taken us out of Egypt into the wilderness, Moses, to kill us. With starvation. Yeah, right. That's what Moses, that was the plan all along. Do everything that he did in Egypt just to get out there and kill them with starvation. Cue the maniacal laughter. How quickly they had forgotten how miserable they had it in Egypt. And how quickly they had forgotten how the Lord takes care of them. Now, actually, they were not in danger of starving to death at this point. They weren't. We know they had livestock. So they could have had meager uh, portions of milk, cheese. They probably would have found whatever edible type of vegetation they could along the way. If they were starving to death, they would have butchered the livestock. But of course, that was something that would be a last resort, a last case scenario. So they haven't done that yet. But certainly, they aren't eating a lot. It's tough. The diet's meager. And they're eating the same thing over and over and over and over again. In fact, Psalm 78, written many years after this, looks back at this. And we get this interesting detail. It tells us in Psalm 78, they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. 
They wanted food of variety. No doubt it was a big concern for them. But they weren't starving to death. And here they are complaining. So Moses goes to the Lord. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So this is one of the most amazing, spectacular miracles of provision that you find in all of Scripture in response to their complaint. The Lord began raining bread from heaven on the ground every morning. A very interesting, mysterious substance. They would call this bread manna. You know what manna means in the Hebrew? What is it? That's what manna means. They didn't know what it was. It's this bread-like quality. It is described later in the chapter. It was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Sopa P.S. <laughs> Every morning on the front lawn. The manna was durable. It could be ground. It could be milled, baked, or boiled. No doubt they would use it on all kinds of different recipes. You know the story that God would be providing them manna every morning for 40 years. One mathematician tried to figure out what the daily load would be for a nation of two and a half million. And he came up that God would provide 4,500 tons of manna. Five trains, each with ten boxcars full of manna every morning. God providing for his people. Now, the instructions were clear. It would be there on six mornings. Every morning you were to get up there and you were only to collect enough for yourself, your individual, your family... If you collect it and only collect enough for that day, if you collected more, it would spoil and rot. The only day you could collect more was on the sixth day before the Sabbath day. Then you could collect enough for two days, and it wouldn't spoil and rot on the Sabbath day. So please note, God was teaching his people to depend upon him daily. To wake up every morning by faith and trust God for provision. Incredible miracle. By the way, you know the story. Eventually there would be more complaining and grumbling among the children of Israel. What over now? Manna, we're so tired of the manna. More grumbling and complaining. Okay, look into chapter 17 now. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of Zin 
according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So now they've come to another place. There's no water to drink. They've learned their lesson by now, right? They're going to trust God. It's going to be just great. No, verse 2, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it that you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? More complaining, more grumbling. And verse 2 uses the word contended, which is escalating. Now they're becoming combative. It's like rebellious. It's like a mutiny. In fact, in verse 4, it says, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. What an ugly spirit. This complaining, this murmuring. Moses cried out to the Lord, In another very creative way, the Lord said to Moses, verse 5, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and the water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Man, these guys are complainers, they're grumblers, they're rebels, and let, yet look at the way God took care of them. And we have another very creative way. Moses, take the rod in your hand, take the elders, go to this cliff, this rock cliff called Horeb. And the Lord says, I'm going to stand on top of it. And when I give you the cue, strike it, hit the rock. That rock will burst open. And the sweetest, most refreshing, healthiest water is going to flow. And he did so. And it happened. And the people drank. And were refreshed. And were blessed. And so and so it goes for 40 years. The Lord providing for his people. Sometimes in supernatural ways, sometimes in natural ways. But the Lord provided for him. We even know at the end of the 40 year time period of them going through the wilderness, Moses will make this statement in verse 29, speaking for the Lord. I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out. And your sandals have not worn out on your feet. The clothing, the sandals, the food, the drink, no doubt the tents. God providing for his people. And that's a very big, important lesson to learn here. The Lord is a provider. And if you belong to the Lord, he's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of your physical needs. 
He's concerned about those things. If you've given your life to the Lord, he's taken ownership of your life. And he's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. Now, the Lord will most often provide for us physically, naturally. And you know what that means? Through hard work, through job, working hard. The Bible does talk about earning a living. We are not to be irresponsible people by waking up each morning looking for sopapillas on the front lawn. We're to be working hard. And God will lead in that department. But you know as well as I know that you can even fall on hard times when you've worked hard. And you've been responsible. And you're trying. And it can be very concerning. But my friend, in times like this, Please know, the Lord is going to provide for you. You belong to him. And you trust him. He can take care of you in supernatural ways. Look what we just read. And I'll tell you what, one of the the most beautiful ways that God takes care of his people is through his people. I have said this many times, man. If you are not an intimate member of a local church, I mean where you're a part of a church and people know you by name and you've joined in fellowship. Boy, I'll tell you what, the body of Christ will help those in need and you'll be able to be used by the Lord to help your brothers and sisters in need. The Lord will provide. He is a provider. And we see another really big lesson here Complaining is so ugly. It is so ugly. And so unhelpful. In fact, I would say complaining like that is a sin for the child of God. Now, don't, now hear me right. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with making a need known and being aware, making people aware. But this insidious complaining, like you see in this passage, that is a sin. And you know what it is? It's an indication of a very selfish heart. And it's an indication that you have very little faith. It's insulting to your father to be a complainer like that. You should trust him. You should have faith in him. The New Testament tells us that we are to give thanks in all things. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And our joy in the Lord should not be circumstantial, but fundamental. Doesn't change with circumstances. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, Paul said, and I know how to, be, to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God's got you. He's got a plan for you. Remember Eeyore? 
Winnie the Pooh. Eeyore. Life is so gloomy. There shouldn't be any Eeyores in the body of Christ. Jonathan Swift used to say, Complaint is the largest tribute heaven receives. I wonder how many letters of complaint get mailed to heaven. I hope that's not true for you. I hope you're not the complainer. I hope that you fill heaven with your thanksgiving and praise. We shouldn't be grumblers. We should be praisers. Thinkers. Because we have it so good. We really do. Just knowing the Lord is everything. Anything else is icing on the cake. So you watch that complaining spirit. Don't be like those. We laugh at the Israelites, but in a lot of ways we can be the exact same way. Now, physical provision, that is so important, and the Lord is so concerned about your physical health and your physical provision, and he, and he promises to take care of you. But you know what's more important than physical health? Spiritual health. Spiritual provision. These bodies in the Bible are called tents. And these bodies grow old and get weak. I don't care how many vitamins you take or how many visits to the gym gym that you make. Now, I am all for doing everything to promote a higher quality of living for as long as you can. But listen, the real part of you, the soul, the spirit, it's eternal. That lasts forever. Your spiritual health is way more important. And the Lord has given spiritual provision for you. In fact, all of these incidents that we just looked at are pictures of spiritual provision. Step one to spiritual health is salvation. It's getting saved. It's becoming born again. Did you know that you were created by God to know him? To be in a relationship with him. You weren't created to just eat and drink and fix houses and cars and make money and die. You were created to know the creator. The problem is that this human race is a sinful race. We blew it in the garden. We rebelled. Sin has come into the existence of the human race. Sin is why there's all sorts of problems. By the way, do you know sin is why uh, it says in, in the opening chapters of Genesis after the fall that it's by the sweat of your brow that you'll eat because of sin. All of the crime, all of the stuff that you see, and sin separates us from God because God is without sin. He's holy and he's perfect. And we're separated from him. But God in his love and grace has made it possible for us to be forgiven of all our sin. He sent his only begotten son. 
the Lord Jesus, who came to die for the sins of the world, to die in our place, to take the punishment that we deserved. And the elements of the crucifixion are there in the stories that we just read. This one here in chapter 17, Paul the Apostle even tells us that the rock is Jesus. That rock got struck. God's standing on the rock, identifying with the rock, and it gets struck. And the living water bursts out. Jesus was struck at the cross. He was struck with the wrath of God. His blood was shed. His side was pierced, and the water gushed out. It's a picture of what Jesus has done for you. And then, of course, that, that incident in, in, in chapter 15 with, you know, the bitter waters, the sweet waters. And what's the difference? The wood, the tree, the cross. It all points to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the fact that he has died on the cross for your sins and has paid the price. And if you put your faith and trust in him, he'll save you. The bitter waters will become sweet. It's beautiful. Jesus has paid the price. He rose again the third day, but we must partake of him by faith. We must receive him. And we see all of that in these examples. They had to partake of the manna. They had to drink of the living water. They had to take. And so too, you must partake of Jesus. In John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In John chapter 4, to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Jesus says, Come to me and take a drink. Find living water. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He even goes on to say in that chapter, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. But this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I will give to the world. Speaking of his crucifixion. And you need to partake. You need to consume. Meaning you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he'll save you. Jesus also said something wonderful in John chapter 10. He said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they they may have it more abundantly. Oh, you know, God doesn't just save you. He gives you a higher quality of life. Abundant life, everlasting life, eternal life, real life. You come to Jesus Christ and, man, you, you, you begin to experience peace 
and joy and purpose and meaning. You get all the big questions in life answered and you're secure. You get abundant life. I love, again, that that incident in, in 15 with the pool of bitter water. Man, that's such a picture. Before we come to Christ, we're so thirsty. We're looking for something to satisfy our souls. And we go from pool to pool to pool to pool. Looking for satisfaction and meaning. But they're always bitter. So we go to the pool of money and wealth. And boy, we dive in. We drink deeply. We gorge ourselves. And there's no... There's no long-lasting satisfaction with stuff. Or we go to the pool of worldly pleasures and we drink. And it ends up being bitter waters. Or we go to the pool of academia or knowledge or fame or honor before man and we drink. But it doesn't, it doesn't. Or lots of people, they'll go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. I know this one will work. I'll find satisfaction. There's only one pool that will give you satisfaction. And that's the pool that's been made sweet by the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you put your faith and trust in him. You will find satisfaction. You will find meaning. You were created to know God. You'll be able to say like David in Psalm 23, verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I am satisfied. I am complete. I am content. That's spiritual life that's spiritual health and the Lord wants to make you strong spiritually in this life that you may live a fruitful life one that impacts others this whole picture of the children of Israel journeying across the wilderness on their way to the promised land it's a great picture of us as Christians and pilgrims journeying across the wilderness, headed to heaven in this life. And in this life, the Lord wants us to be strong. And he's provided spiritual resources. The word of God. The written word of God will make you strong. And in fact, did you know that that manna in Exodus verse 16 is symbolic of the word of God that manna that you collect every morning in fact in Deuteronomy again Moses looking back saying to the people of Israel he humbled you allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Remember? 
Jesus quoted from that verse. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Manna is symbolic of this. God's given it to you in your journey. This is your source of health and nutrition, spiritual vitality. And just like everyone was to collect it individually, so you should collect it individually. Just like they were commanded to collect it consistently, daily, so should you. The only time they... They had that day off was on a Sabbath, and I like to think of our Sundays as a Sabbath. So you and I were reading our Bibles every day, and then together on the Sabbath day, we feed together on the wonderful written word of God that makes you strong and healthy. They did collect it in the morning. I highly recommend that when you, if you read the Bible consistently, do it first thing in the morning. It just starts the day right. Just set your alarm for 20 minutes earlier. You can do it. Tell Siri to do it right now. Get up. It's your breakfast. It's your spiritual breakfast. And I can't tell you how many times something that I've read in the word of God that morning I'll be delighted to use during that day. I'll remember something that I read and be able to share with somebody who needs a word of encouragement that day, that verse that I read that morning. Or the circumstances that it helped me through. We have manna. You have the word of God. Don't don't neglect this. Margaret Sangster said, A bit of the book in the morning to order my onward way. A bit of the book in the evening to hallow the end of the day. I promise you, God has given that to make you strong. And then the second resource, you have the Holy Spirit. Water in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called living water. And when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, who takes up residence in your life, Christian? The Holy Spirit. Sweet waters. The Holy Spirit who works to produce the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ in your life day by day by day. The Holy Spirit who seeks to use you and lead you. Jesus said in John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture is said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He goes on to say, This he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That was a promise. Jesus has now died, risen again, and he's glorified, and the Holy Spirit has come out. And if you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will be a stream of living water in and through you. The Lord has given you resources. He's concerned about your spiritual health. Salvation 
abundant life, strength and fruitfulness through a steady diet of his word and a daily dependence upon his Holy Spirit. Oh, don't, don't waste your life complaining about food and drinks and bills and all the stuff of this life. My brother and sister in Christ quit that complaining. Not telling you to be irresponsible. You know what I'm saying. Focus on your spiritual health. What God wants to do in and through you. And no, he will take care of your physical stuff. But he's more, he's more concerned with your spiritual health. Let's not be complainers. Let's be thankers and praisers. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Lord, it's so easy for us to get caught up in all of the things of this world, the troubles. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't let that hinder us. No matter what we're going through, we wouldn't lose our praise. We wouldn't lose our grateful hearts. We wouldn't lose sight of what matters most. In fact, Lord, right now, if we've, if we've been grumbling like that, we want to admit that to you and just tell you we're sorry. Forgive us. You've blessed us beyond our wildest imaginations. Father, I also pray that you would keep us spiritually minded, spiritually equipped to do what you've called us to do, which is to share you with others. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been going from pool to pool to pool, trying everything that this world has to offer, every relationship, everything. And the waters are bitter and they're not satisfying you. And you know it. There's only one pool that satisfies. And that's a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you come into that relationship with him? Have you partaken of Jesus for yourself? Have you asked him to be your Lord and Savior? Have you placed your faith and trust in him? Has he given you abundant life yet? He can right now first step to spiritual health is salvation. If you haven't received him, you can do so right now by faith. You must admit that you need him. You must admit the problem that we are sinners. You must acknowledge that Jesus paid that price for you on the cross and rose again. And then ask him to Wash away your sins. If that's you, just in the quietness of your heart, just by faith reach out to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, by faith, I put my trust in you.
I want your living water. I want the bread of life. I need forgiveness of sins. I need a brand new start. I've made a mess. So, Lord, I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising again. Make me born again. Make me a child in your family. In Jesus' name.